0: Heavenly Father, we declare to you this morning that you are good. And God, we are thankful to you, God, in this week of, of thanksgiving and remembering all of the great things and the blessings we have. God, it just seems so pointless to me if we don't thank you. We're just sort of thanking nothingness if we don't thank you. So we thank you, God, as we have spent time with family and friends and had good food and some time off from work and other things going on, Lord. We are thankful to you for those things. And God, above all, for those of us who have come into a relationship with you, we are thankful for the good news. We are thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty on our behalf, to take the punishment, the justice that was due to us so that we could have a relationship with you, so that we could spend eternity with you in heaven. God, that's the greatest gift you've given us. Help us today to, to hear, to understand. Lord, I pray that you would be with our south location meeting in Parker this morning, that you would bless their time and their unity and their family. And Lord, thank you for bringing visitors to that location as well too. God, we know you have great in store for them. We lift up our time to you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. so. Uh it has been a couple weeks since I've been up here of course I was on vacation and I thought I'd show you some uh pictures of Hawaii but apparently Tim already showed you pictures of Hawaii so that would be like repetition so I'm not going to do that Um I know when I was last up here uh the passage we were talking about in Galatians the, the title of it was Christians are hypocrites which is kind of a heavy subject right So today we're going to get a little more maybe into the Christmas spirit. We're going to be talking about the gifts that the gospel gives us. It's maybe a little bit more upbeat, a little more positive. But um, we are into Galatians chapter 3. Of course, Brad left left us off last week at verse 25. So we're in uh, uh, verse 26. So I'm going to put the passage up here on the screen, hopefully. There we go. All right, and so I'll read it to you. Follow along if you've got a Bible with you or an electronic device that has a Bible app. That's good. I believe this, I pulled this from the New Living Translation, but here's what it says It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves. Until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. God sent him, oh, said that already, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, "Abba, Father." Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is the word of the Lord. It's good, right? Now, if we look at this passage, man, I think you could probably pull out about eight different things. Right? And so, put your seatbelts on. We're going to be here a long time. Broncos game's not till 6.30 tonight. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to pull out three things, right? As I said, it's kind of the Christmas season. We think about giving and receiving gifts. And so, I think the gospel really gives us a number of things, but I want to highlight three gifts that the gospel gives us that Paul talks about right here in this passage. I just think it's so appropriate with our Christmas decor, some of you maybe are doing Advent things in your home, your family, I know we do, kind of getting excited to do like a devotional here, but all right, so we got some gifts. So the first one, if you're following along, is the clothing analogy. Verse 27 says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Okay, now Paul elsewhere in the New Testament, he uses this analogy. Think specifically, one example would be in Ephesians 4. He talks about how when we come to Christ, we take off the old self and we put on the new self, right? It's a great analogy. And so there's a picture here that shows us some things about the gospel. In particular, I'm going to draw out four things here. The first thing it shows us is that our primary identity is in Christ. Our primary identity is in Christ. Because the clothes that we wear, physically speaking, right? The clothes that we wear identify who we are. They, they tell somebody who we identify with, right? Right? Who here goes to work and has to wear a uniform? Surely somebody, yeah. You guys got to wear uniforms, right? You're probably going to wear like an apron or something when you're over there at the egg. Like I was at Jiffy Lube this week. And all those guys have uniforms on. They're kind of cool uniforms. I'm like, I could wear like a Jiffy Lube jacket, right? That's kind of cool, but that's their uniform, right? Now, some of you maybe have a more white-collar job, right? Maybe you got to wear something that's got See, Rob's got like a corporate logo here on his jacket. I don't know who... Does anyone have to wear like corporate logo kind of stuff? Yeah, right? Or maybe you just do... Or you got to dress a certain way, right? The engineering company I used to go into the office to every day, they, they were like, no shorts and no sandals, right? They had like a dress code, right? Anyone like in construction, you got to wear a vest? you got to wear like a yellow vest so we know that you're a construction worker, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, you can see that I, uh, I typically don't dress this casually on Sunday mornings, right? Some of you, you were probably feeling right at home, right, Andrew? Like I'm like Jeff Wieman back from the past. <laughs> he always wore the Broncos shirt when they were playing. And I, when I'm up here, I try not to dress this casually, but I did it for this illustration, because who do I identify with in some ways? The Denver Broncos, right? I'm a fan. I see a number of you. Brad has a shirt on. I see a number of you you've got hats and other things on. Right? We identify with that. Clothes identify who us with something, right? Someone was very generous to us this week. We had some friends. They gave us some hand-me-down clothes, lightly used. Which is great when you have a big family like I do. You don't just have to keep buying clothes. So when someone gives you clothes, you're really excited, right? So we're really excited. We're going through these clothes, but there was a couple of shirts in there. One of them was a sweatshirt with a CU Buffs logo on the front. Now, there's nothing wrong with the CU Buffs. I, I try to keep myself neutral, but in my family, my wife is a CSU grad, and not that she cares too much, but her father is one of the top dogs at CSU in the administration. And so I don't think that would go over very well if I tried to have my kids identify with the rival to Colorado State University, right? So we sort of set that shirt aside. And then there was another one. And I was like, what? These people just like forget, like they not know us, whatever. But no joke, the shirt was a New England Patriots shirt. (laughs) And I said, we're burning that, guys. We're not associating with those cheaters. I mean, that football team. (laughs) because the clothes we wear are part of our identity in some way right and so if you think about this analogy when we put on christ we're identifying with him he is our identification he's a form of id he's our primary form of id second thing the clothing analogy is that it makes us close to christ our clothes are always with us or on us well almost always right but when we're in public or with people lord willing our clothes are always with us or on us right you think about have you ever heard that expression i think some of you maybe this maybe is a sort of a generational thing it doesn't quite make as much sense to us anymore but that idea man i care for you so much i give you the shirt off my back Right? It's like the thing that's closest to you, I would give to you. I care about you so much, I give to you. Well, our clothes are close to us. They're with us. Some of you have a very special bond with some of your clothes, right? right? I was trying to think of an example in my life, and I thought back to when I was a teenager in the 1990s, and the, the grunge movement was kind of in, right? I don't know if you remember that, Ned. Like, but I had some pretty sweet flannel shirts. They were very close to me. And I'd wear them unbuttoned with some kind of t-shirt underneath. And I'd walk around with my plastic coffee travel mug. And I was humming Pearl Jam song tunes, you know, or whatever. Right? That was the 90s. I was real close to those shirts. They were close to me. I was sort of intimate with my shirts, right? And so there's nothing closer to my body than my clothes. And in the same way, when we think about Christ, there is nothing closer to my spirit than Jesus when I've come to put my faith in him and make him my Lord third thing about this is that we get to imitate Christ right so think about it man you put on a suit man you put on a dress you go out somewhere you're probably imitating something you're acting a certain way it changes your, your actions or if you put on swim trunks and go to the beach you maybe act a different way you imitate something different right I think about James Bond. I know there's, I think there's a James Bond movie coming out. I don't really like James Bond. I don't really recommend that you go see those movies. I'm not really going to take my kids to see any of those movies, right? But one thing I think is really neat about the actors who play James Bond is, as I understand it, they have to sign an agreement when they agree to be James Bond that they will never again wear a tuxedo in a movie that's not a James Bond movie. Because that tuxedo... Identifies them. It makes them intimate with that role. And so if somebody sees Daniel Craig in another movie and he's wearing a tuxedo, they're going to think he's James Bond. And so the James Bond people are like, you can't do that, right? Or think about how, how we get to imitate things. What do we do in October? A lot of us go to costume parties, right? It's Halloween, right? Now, if I go to a costume party and I'm dressed like this and I go, do or do not. There is no try. You'll be like, well, you sound like Yoda, but that's a pretty weak imitation. What do I got to do? I got to put on clothes. I got to imitate him. I got to have a costume, right? That's what we do in October is we imitate. Now, I have a picture here from one of my favorite movies where we talk about imitation and clothes. (laughs) of you who don't recognize this, this is from the movie Nacho Libre. And here is Nacho, and he's this guy, and he's trying to figure out who he is, right? That's really kind of the theme of the movie is, who am I, and what am I doing, and what is my life about? And he just he's sort of this kind of half kid, half man, kind of a friar kind of guy in this like convent kind of thing, and, uh, but he doesn't know what to do, and he discovers wrestling, and he starts to figure out, oh my, and so he tries to imitate people, and so he puts on these clothes, because he's trying to impress this girl who happens to be a nun, which is part of the humor, right? And he says, Ah, oh, you got these. And she says, Where are your where are your robes? And he says, I don't have them. And he says, these are my recreation clothes. Right? He's trying to imitate someone. He's sort of lost. He wears clothes to imitate. He's not trying to be himself. Eventually at the end of the movie he figures out who he is, which is great. And so if we put on Christ, we put on Christ's clothes, we do that as a form of imitation we're saying I'm going to imitate Christ We're going to imitate his love his joy, his peace and so on now the fourth thing is that we are now acceptable to God we put on these clothes and we become acceptable to God we begin to fill a role where we are recognizable right, if you're out uh, yeah, I don't know, any of you like to do people watching like go to the airport or you go downtown or something. You always can like pick people out, right? Well, how do you pick them out by their hair color? No, it's by the clothes that they wearing. There goes the businessman. Or you know, at the airport, you're like, where are those people going? Or you see the guy like playing the mandolin. You're like, he must be going to Portland, right? Or whatever. <laughs> He's wearing the clothes or playing the mandolin, right? You know, restaurants have a dress code, right? A lot of them have dress. Code. You ever been to a restaurant that has a dress code? Why? Because they they're looking for acceptability. I went one time, I was in Houston, um, Houston, Texas. And went to this restaurant. It's the only time this ever happened to me. And I walked in, I was dressed up nice, and I had a tie on, and slacks. And and they said, mm-mm. I was like, what? They said, you have to wear a coat, a suit coat in this restaurant. And I was like, well, I'm here on... Visiting I'm, i 'm living in Atlanta at the time i don 't have a suit coat. I went to the closet and pulled out a suit coat and made me wear like a borrowed suit coat so I could eat in this restaurant because it was unacceptable not to wear a suit coat the restaurant i don 't know why they do that, but there 's an acceptability to it, right? We have expected clothes for certain occasions. I think of another story when uh, Christine and I lived in uh, Seattle. One winter, we had this opportunity to go snowshoeing up on the side of Mount Rainier with this other couple. Some friends of ours were still great friends of ours many years later. Um, and it was like pure white-out conditions, which... I mean, sometimes the always was white out. No, it was like really white out conditions. Like you could not see more than 10 feet in front of you. And here we are like snowshoeing off. And we're going along and we're snowshoeing and it's cold and it's blowing snow. And, and all of a sudden this guy sort of staggers out of the fog, like right in front of us. And we're like, whoa, what is this guy doing? And we're like, he did not quite look like he's got everything together. He looks a little dazed and confused. And we're like looking at him and we realize he's wearing shorts, no joke, the guy was wearing shorts in whiteout conditions on the side of Mount Rainier at like 10,000 feet above sea level or something like that. And we were like, whoa, there's like icicles hanging off his leg hairs. And he was like, can you guys tell me where the lodge is? <laughs> Our friends, so this is a dear friend of ours, this, this gal, she's, just, she's a very direct, pointed person. And she looked at him and she said, where are your pants? <laughs> Right? And so in that situation, in that occasion, there was appropriate clothing. And that guy was not wearing appropriate, acceptable clothing at that moment. And so we think back to this verse here. And we would say, why, why am I acceptable to God? What makes me acceptable to God, just generally speaking? And we think about in the clothes analogy, it's not because I've sort of made some clothes that I put on. And I go, hey, look, God, I'm acceptable to you. It's because we've taken Christ and we've put Christ on. And Christ makes us acceptable. I'm found acceptable because God looks at me. He's doing people watching. And he sees me and he goes, I see Christ. He sees it right there in me. And so I think the point here is that the gospel, we think about clothing. The gospel gives us perpetual acceptability to God. I don't have to work. To wash my clothes or change my spiritual clothes to make myself acceptable to God. I don't have to make my own clothes. When I put on Christ, that's what God sees. He sees that my identity is in Christ. I get to be close to Christ. I get to imitate Christ and I'm acceptable to him. And this makes the gospel unique amongst messages. Now, a second gift that we get from the gospel... Is that the gospel is the barrier breaker. So we look at verse 28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now at first glance, you might think this says, oh, we get to just kind of get rid of any sort of distinctions that we have. We just get to wipe it off. You got this and this. We're just going to wipe them away. Well, that's not really what it's saying. That's kind of what the world does. The world wants to say, oh, you've got male and female, we're going to wipe that away and have just sort of one uniform thing, right? You guys hear about social justice a lot. I think there's some good in social justice, but I'm always real leery because I think that's a lot of times what social justice tries to do is it tries to wipe away distinctions. You can't really do that without the grace of God in play. And Paul here is talking about distinctions right as we remember what he's talked about in in Galatians up to this point he had this whole conflict with Peter because there were these issues and there were these barriers between the distinctions and his solution wasn't let's just wipe out the distinctions he said no we got to wipe out the barrier that's between those distinctions and how do we do that we can do that by recognizing that we are believers first We understand that we put on those clothes. We've brought on that gospel. And we're disciples first. And that's the most important thing. And then we can say, ah, I have this opportunity to kind of celebrate differences. I can tear down the barriers. And I can celebrate the fact that there's differences between people. Well, this verse is really cool. It kind of gives us three different barriers that the gospel breaks. The first one is the cultural barrier. In this case, Paul says the Jew and the Gentile. He was really talking about, ah, the world likes to divide us into cultures. And we are divided into cultures. And he's saying we can celebrate those things. See, the world that we live in has this term, They call it multiculturalism, right? And there is an element of that within the church where we go, yes, we can celebrate cultures. But we can have unity as well. I think multiculturalism that the world sells is really a farce because there's no grace and there's no unity even possible without Christ. When we break down the cultural barrier, we don't eliminate who we are. We get to continue to be what, who we are. We don't have to change necessarily Who I am, or the culture I come from, or the people I live in. I'm a Gentile, I don't have to go do Jewish things. Someone who is a Jewish person who comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they don't have to become a Gentile. But we can have unity together in that culture. Only in Christ, only in Christ can I love other people who are of a different culture than me. Without having a superiority complex about my culture. Only in Christ can I do that. The second barrier the gospel breaks down is it breaks down the economic barrier. So we talk about what the world promotes. I think the world likes to promote this concept of socialism. And you know if we went back about 30 years we'd be like ah socialism that's a dirty word. Now we even live in a culture where one of the people who's running for president of the United States says, I'm a socialist. And people are like, hey, that's great. The world sells us this idea of let's break down, break this down. Let's all be together. But it, I don't want to get into it too much, but it's not really what it is. It's really just a power grab of sort of taking the barrier from here and moving it over to somewhere else. It's really just a power grab. Because without Christ, without the gospel... We can't have that unity. The world wants to stratify us. Even when they say they aren't, they really are doing that. The gospel allows us to unite and economically. Only in the church can you have the poor not be looked down upon and the rich not shunned. It's because we're all saved because we have that gift of salvation. So economics can really become a barrier to unity. The gospel breaks it down in our hearts because we place Christ first. And that's the most important thing. That's our unifying factor. The barrier gets broken. The third barrier is a gender barrier. Now, in today's society, this maybe has sort of a, a different meaning than it did when Paul was around, right? In those, in those days, of those Old Testament times, like women were really much more seen as property. There was definitely a hierarchy of men and, and women. That society we, we don't necessarily have that today. And in part, I think that's because um, of Christian influence on society in history. That we have that. But, we still have a problem, right? The, the world says, ah, okay, let's, let's wipe out the distinctions between men and women. Let's just make everybody kind of the same. Right? I've even heard people try to use this verse to try to say that and try to promote that. And I know it's a really delicate topic that we have. But it can be so confusing for me when I look at what the world has to offer. Right? The world is like, okay, let's, uh, let's go to the department store and we're going to take clothing. And we're not going to have clothing for men and clothing for women. We're just going to kind of make it all sort of gender neutral kind of stuff. And then, on the other hand, the world says, oh, well, gender is really something you pick, and it's really something you get to express on your own. And then how do they say to express it? By the clothes you wear. So over here they're saying, let's make clothes uniform. And over here they're saying, pick it. It just gets really confusing to me. And I think we can bring this sort of thing even into the church. A lot of churches do this, as they begin to deny the importance of the roles of genders. And that brings confusion into the church. But see, God has established it. He created us. Go back to Genesis. He made us male and female. He made us together, men and women together, as a picture of who he is. Right? That doesn't mean that we don't see that in the animal kingdom the same way. Sure, there's, there's males and females in the animal kingdom. But a, a male elk and a female elk does not create a picture of God. But a man and a woman. Both represent God in unique ways and so we don't want to lose that and Paul's not saying we're going to wipe that away but there's barriers because anytime you have differences the world wants to make things different it wants to make a hierarchy but only in the gospel can we have men and women flourishing in their roles in unity because we can all be saved together And so the conclusion from that is that the gospel gives us the amazing ability to celebrate differences, truly celebrate differences, while under this umbrella of unity. The gospel breaks the barriers, all of these barriers. It breaks the barriers without destroying the uniqueness God has given us, and the things that he's called us to, and the places that he's called us, and the cultures that we live in. So the third gift is the gospel's privilege. We get a privilege from the gospel. Verses 6 and 7 say this, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father! Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Okay, so the first thing we get, the first kind of piece of the privilege is we get an intimacy of relationship with God. Now, we have to go back here maybe and explain a little bit about what Abba Father is. And he says Abba, he's not talking about a cheesy 1970s rock band. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. Sort of that idiomatic, like, closeness thing you would say to your dad, the, the, the ultimate sort of close thing, close description of what your dad would be. Right? And so I understand this. So we're supposed to relate to God as daddy, right? We've probably all heard that. And I understand that can be really tough for some people, for some of us. Some of you probably have not had a good relationship with the father. So you don't know what that's like. And so you go, I can't, I don't have a picture of that in my life. It's hard to know what that's like. But I think on the other hand, you've got to think about it and say, oh, but I understand I have a need for that. And so God can fill that need. Whereas you take somebody like me, and I know a number of us who have always had and still have a great relationship with their dad and intimacy. I even got to spend some time just chatting one-on-one with my dad on Thursday at his house. And it's just this great time. I go, wow, he really is. My dad is so cool. We're so close. And so I have this great picture. But it can be really easy for some of us who have that to say, what do I need to have that with God? I just have my dad. Right? And so there's, I think there's challenges there for all of us to try to relate to God as daddy. But I think what we've got to remember, the bottom line here, is that we are assured, we are secure in God's love for us when we have that relationship. There is a security there. And so what does it really mean to say, Daddy? It means we're calling out to him in prayer. We have this great opportunity, but we have this closeness, right? I think of my kids, right? Well, I think sometimes some churches, some places can kind of get caught up, right? They go back to the Lord's Prayer that we find in the, in the New Testament. And they want to say, oh yeah, we got to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And so on and so forth. And I think about my kids. who I have this intimate relationship with my kids, my boys and Scarlett. And um, they don't come up to me and say, "Oh, Father, who art my Father? Might I have a snack, please?" <laughs> now, what do they do? They go, "Daddy, can I have some raisins? Can I have a snack bar?" They ask me, they have this intimacy with, they don't have to make it formal, it doesn't have to be at a certain place at a certain time, they just come running up and say, can I have this? I need this. It's the kind of intimacy we need to have with God, that we get to have with God because of the gospel. We get to have it. So we think about prayers, this way that we get to communicate with God that he gives us. I think sometimes, again, we talk about the world. The world really corrupts this in some ways, right? Do you guys hear this all the time when tragedy strikes or things? They go, oh, asking for thoughts and prayers or send out your thoughts and prayers or give us good thoughts or think good thoughts. I think there's, there, there's good to that, right? I don't want to totally say, yeah, that's not good. But I, I always get kind of, I don't know, uncomfortable with that idea of like, oh, good thoughts, Right? Good thoughts really do nothing except make the person who thinks the thoughts feel better. So it did not really do anything to change. So it's fine, oh, you're thinking about me, that's good, but it did not really do much good. They say, oh, thoughts and prayers. Well, prayers do nothing if you haven't been reconciled to God. If you don't have a relationship with God, prayer doesn't do anything for you isaiah 59 2 we've learned about that in our our uh, discipleship groups it says that um your iniquities your sin has separated you from god so that he will not hear he won't hear your prayers when you petition him you don't have the intimacy of hey daddy this is happening this is going on we don't have it in James chapter 5, it says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. So what do you suppose the prayers of an unrighteous man are? Not powerful and not effective. Right? It's the opposite there. But instead of that, when a prayer gets effective, it's effective when we have a relationship with God. An intimacy where we get to call him daddy. And he will respond He will respond. Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 to 11. Jesus is talking and he he basically says, just to paraphrase it. He says, who of you when your son asks you for a a loaf of bread will give him a stone? He says, how much more will your father give you good things? Right. That's what we get when we have the gospel and it's transformed our life. We have this opportunity to speak to God and petition God. And he'll answer us and he'll do what's good for us. The Bible really tells us over and over and over that prayer is the ultimate weapon for good in this world. And yet it's only effective if we have the good news. If we've put on those clothes, the clothing of Christ. The second part of the privilege is that we have an authority of possession. Think about God and God is the creator. God owns the place. Amen? God is the owner. He has it. And what do the verses say? God has made you his heir. It means we own it too. We own it too. I mentioned my father-in-law a few minutes ago. I know he's the chief of staff at Colorado State University, which means there's the president and then there's him. It's literally like their offices are like right next to each other, right? It's kind of cool. I'm not saying that to brag. It's just sort of a reality. I was trying to think of a good illustration. This is it. So one time we went up there to visit. And we happened to be there on the day the president was gone. But my father-in-law was there. And we we went to visit. And we had a couple of our kids with us. And we were saying hi. And all of a sudden the kids were like, I need to go to the bathroom. And so Mark, my father-in-law, goes, Oh well we'll just go use the president's private bathroom so we open the door and walk into the president's office and go use his bathroom and we're walking around looking at all this cool little memorabilia and stuff it's like we own the place because we had him he was our guy right he had an authority to be there and we were with him in the same way Jesus has the authority and we're with him so we get that authority In 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 it says Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when Christ appears we shall be like him. We shall be like him. We have the same access to God that Jesus has. We have the same access to God that Jesus has. Jesus is God's only son. And we have that same access. We have that same relationship. We have that same authority of possession. So we can be bold and confident in our prayers. We can be bold and confident in our actions. Not fearful. Not because we go, oh man, God's not going to like me very much. If I don't do this or I do that. No. God loves you. He looks at you and he sees who? Jesus. We have that authority. That's my conclusion from this. is The gospel means that God treats me the same as if I was Jesus. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm like his only son. Having have an authority. And so those are really the three gifts I think I want to pull out of this. I know there's an, a bunch more. We're perpetually accepted by God. We put on that clothing and God accepts us perpetually, always. Nothing changes. Second thing, we get to celebrate differences because of the gospel. Because we have the most important commonality of all. Which is that we're saved and we've brought Jesus Christ in to be our Lord and Savior. And the third gift we get is that God treats me the same as his one and only Holy Son. Man, that's pretty cool. Well, I hope that guy that encourages you guys as you think about it this week as you go into the Christmas season thinking about gifts and giving gifts. Remember, what has God given you in the gospel? Maybe you can remember one of these three things. Let's pray. Well, God, I, I do just praise you that you have given us good gifts. So many good gifts. God, we could just write them down and write them down and we would... List off our gifts for a long, long time, God. But I thank you for these three things that the Apostle Paul draws out right here in his letter to the Galatians. Three things that are a gift to us. Found in your good news. God, it just amazes me that you accept me. You always accept me. That you're, you never move away from me or, or think of me different and go, oh, his clothes are stained. no. If I've put on Christ and I have. You see Christ in me. God, I thank you that, that we can come from different places and different things and do, and, and go different places and, and meet other believers and have a unity and a commonality. Because we're saved, because we know you and have a relationship with you. And then we can be excited when we see other believers who different do different things or... or act different ways or celebrate different things or come from different cultures and we can flourish in those roles God thank you for that gift of breaking down those barriers God and I thank you man it's just so amazing that you see me the same as you see Jesus God I know I don't deserve it none of us deserve that our good works never amount to anything yet you saw have seen fit to transfer that to us, transfer Jesus to us. You've given us an authority of possession and an intimacy with you where we can cry out and say, Daddy, and you answer us as our Father. And God, for, I, I know there's some here who, who haven't placed their trust in you. God, it's just my, my hope and prayer is that it's an understanding that we get the etern- to spend eternity with you, but you've given us great gifts right here in this life that we can cling to and hold to and run with and model our life after. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to teach us these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.